our scripture reading. Uh, it is from John 6, 41 through 51. But before we begin, let me set it up. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, the miraculous feeding of five loaves and two fish, and uh, feeding 5,000, and so the crowd is ready to make him king. However, he tells them that they don't need a new king, they need the bread of life. And then here's where the scripture comes. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that, came, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Josh. We're beginning a new series this evening. It's a series during the season of Lent. Leading up to and including Easter, we'll be looking at various I am statements that Jesus has made about himself in the Gospel of John, so the fourth Gospel of the New Testament, Jesus says several times, I am. And what Jesus is doing when he says I am is he's making statements to show us that if we're here and we have a need, Christ is always the source that will satisfy that need. And so we're always invited to Christ as the source to satisfy our needs. So that, for example, if you feel as if you're walking in darkness and you don't know, you're making huge decisions in your life and you don't know how to make these decisions, here's Jesus, I'm the light of the world. I'll I'll be light. If if you're walking in darkness, I'm light. If you're afraid, here's Jesus. Uh, Look, I know you're afraid, like sheep are sometimes afraid of wolves. I'm the good shepherd. I'll protect you. I'll be your source of protection. You don't need to be afraid. If you're hungry, hungry, hungry for what? Oh, you know, meaning, (laughs) intimacy, healing after the breakup of relationship, employment direction, provision, hope. Are you hungry? Here's Jesus. I'm the bread. So if you're hungry, come to me. I'll, I'll fill you. I will fill your hunger. I'm light. I'm bread. I'm life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the resurrection. So whatever, whatever it is that you're longing for, come to me and I will not meet that longing, but you will find precipitated by that longing, you'll find now not just the meeting of that need, that felt need, you'll find me in a new and profound way. And I'm thrilled to do this series with you. It's a, when the first time I preached here at Bethany, I came to speak as a guest speaker for a week and then things took a turn and I'm still here. That was... 21 years later, I was just going to be here a week, but the first time I spoke, I spoke on the I am's in the Gospel of John, and I walked into the chapel, which is across the street, and the windows in there are stained, beautiful stained glass windows, and each one is one of the I am statements. I'm the vine, you're the branches, I'm the, I'm the light, I'm the way, I'm the bread. So go look at those windows sometime, but not right now, because I'm going to do this, okay? Uh, but it's super significant, and for me, I would say maybe... At, at one level, not the most important part of the Bible because it's all important, but foundational is this, that you would be able to say it and mean it, not as theory or religion or philosophy or something like that, but that you would say, Christ is my life. Christ, my companion, my source, the one to whom I cling. Christ, that's, that's why we do this. That you would know Christ as the very real source to meet every need in your life. So, uh, that's where we begin. I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at this. I, what does it mean? I have the bread of life. That's Jesus in John 6. So please pray with me. Father, thanks that we can gather here. We come in many different conditions of heart. And as I, um, as I just think about who's in the room, and the few stories that I do know, Father, I know that we all come with a felt need of some sort. Maybe that's why we're here at all need for direction, need for healing, need for deliverance, need for hope. And so we invite you to meet us here, Father, but grateful that you won't just simply meet a need, but that you will use that need to draw us to you 
so that you'll meet every need in our lives, felt and unfelt, and, and that being yoked with you would result in transformation of all that we are. That's our desire, Father. So speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's 1979, I get married, September 1979, all right? Then June 1980, uh, end of May, actually, Mount St. Helens blows up. My, my wife and I live in California. And then when St. Helens blew up, we decided then we wanted to take a vacation back up here in the Pacific Northwest. We'd met in Seattle. So we came up here in July of 1980, and we did a bike trip. And so we started in Salem, Oregon. If you know your Northwest geography, we started in Salem. We drove, uh, uh, rode our bikes up from Salem to Portland, then west to Astoria on the coast, then down the coast on Highway 1 to Lincoln City, then east again, we ended up in Salem. 300 miles, lots of fun. I'll just give you a little advice if you're getting married. What a great way to learn stuff about your spouse, a 300-mile bike trip. Married less than a year. What great! I mean, it's amazing. Stuff you knew, stuff you didn't know, and then once you knew, it, you didn't even want to know it, right? And so that's okay. But we learned some things. And one of the things I learned, I learned a lot of things about Donna. One of the things I learned is how much she likes bread. I, I didn't, I didn't know until this trip that bread is like life for her. It's unbelievable. And so the day, the turn, like the revelation, the light went on. Uh, we've made it to Portland. Now we're heading to Astoria. And it's, I don't know, 80 miles or whatever it is. But I said foolishly to my wife, who was in love with me so much. I mean, it's first year of marriage. She believes everything I say. So she goes, so how, you know, how is it? Is it going to be hilly? Ha, huh, no. I said, are you kidding me? There's a river going down to the ocean. Rivers flow down. It's going to be downhill. Level at worst, but downhill because we end up lower than Portland, right? Doesn't that make sense to you? Well, here's the deal. Uh, the actual road is not anywhere near the river, and it's like this. Hill after hill after hill. It's horrific if you're on a bicycle. And so on every hill, I foolishly said, ah, last hill. And my wife foolishly believed me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and then another hill, and then another hill, and then another hill. So that eventually, uh, you know, we had said we will... You know, we're going to, we made a pact. We're only going to ride our bikes the whole way. There will be no, like, hitchhiking, throwing your bike in a truck or anything like that. So we're, we co we're coasting down this thing, and then we turn, and we see, oh, it's another hill. It's like hill number five out of 11, right? And so we're at the bottom doing whatever, and then a truck pulls up. Hey, you guys want to ride? I go, no, we're, you know, we're riding the whole way. Here's, here's Donna. I'm in. She throws her bike in the truck and takes off without me. Like, I learned a lot in, in that, like, little trip, right? So then, you know, I eventually catch up again, and, and then we're at a little store to get food, and, she, and Donna's like this. I want a, all I want is a roll. I want a roll. Well, they, didn't have, they, have don't, you know, they had all kinds of things, but they didn't, have, they didn't have rolls, and she was getting mad. At me, <laughs> there were no rolls, right? All it was a roll. She was lusting for rolls, right? She just want a roll. My kingdom for a roll. I want a roll. So <laughs> I'm not that way. I'm into fat and protein, right? For reasons that will become apparent in a moment. But she's into carbs. So here's what I've learned in 38 years. Carbs make you happy. Did you know that? Did anyone know that? Like, literally, they make you happy. There's a website that's a little bit cooking website, a little bit chemistry website, because chemistry and cooking are related, apparently. Uh, and, and so I'm going to quote from this website. Uh, and the title of this particular page on the website is this, Let's Talk About Carbs. So I'm quoting now for you. What are carbs? Oh, you know, the starchy doughing amazingness that seems to be everywhere. Those are carbs. Whether it's greased up french fries from the boardwalk, the rich cheesecake from your favorite high-end restaurant, French baguette from the grocery store, carbs are literally everywhere. I brought one tonight. This is a sample. It's a cookie, right? <laughs> and it's right here. Just so you know, there's a carb in my presence. <laughs> carbs are literally everywhere. Now, and so then the question on the website, well, why do we like carbs? We like them 
because they create a spike in the, quote, feel-good hormone. Did you know you have a feel-good hormone? It's called serotonin. So when you eat carbs, like serotonin starts flowing into your brain and suddenly you're happier. You're literally happier after having a piece of cake. You're, you're happier. So this explains a great deal, doesn't it? After a breakup, what do you do? Go eat cake. You lose your job, what do you do? Go eat cake. Right? You dis discover you have terminal disease, what do you do? Go eat cake. It's two in the afternoon. It's just a normal Tuesday. What do you do? Eat cake. <laughs> because you got to make it to 5 p.m. And, so and so what happens is not only you get the serotonin, but you get something called glucose, which is the f it fuels your brain. Like when you're, when you're thinking, you're actually burning up glucose, apparently. And the glucose comes with the carbs. So, I mean, that sounds heavenly. Why wouldn't we all just be eating carbs all the time? Here's why. There's a problem. There's always a downside to everything. And, and the downside of carbs is this. They put you on a cycle of highs and lows. So you're down and you're hungry. Now you eat a cookie. That's all good. And then once it begins to do its magic, you get the serotonin and, you, and, and suddenly you go from feeling bad to feeling good, from feeling tired to feeling energetic, from feeling empty to feeling full, right? All it's good, hey, whoa, man. And then you, you've eaten this curry, you're on top of the world. I can do anything, I'm amazing, you know, and then you're all up here. But then here's the thing about carbs. As quickly as they go up, do you know what else happens? They go down. Did you know that? You crash. This is why kids, they eat a snow cone, and, so then, and then they're bouncing off the windows in the car for like 20 minutes, and then they're sobbing. So it's like from the world is amazing, to I just want to die. And it's up, down, up, down, up, down. And that, that's a byproduct of this particular food group, the carbohydrates. This is why bacon is better. <laughs> because like at the blood sugar level, you're just always the same. You're basically pretty mellow and happy, okay? So that, it's not a diet lecture, but that's a truth. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> Let you know. Now, so, but Jesus isn't talking about bacon. He's talking about bread, and here's the deal. <laughs> what Jesus is showing us here is a physical reality of bread that is a picture of our larger lives. Because this, what does Jesus say? In John 6, he says, look, anyone who eats of this physical bread, you eat it, you'll hunger again. You will. So where it works. Eat hungry. Eat hungry. And Jesus is saying, that's just a picture of actual life. You're hungry in, in life. You're hungry for all kinds of things. We all are. And so here's the way life works. You're hungry, so you go after it. You're, I mean, you're hungry for a new location. You think about, you know, will we move, you know? You're hungry for a new job. Oh, they put your resume out there, fish a little bit. You're hungry uh, because you're lonely, and so you start dating. You're hungry because you're bored, and so you change majors. You're hungry because it's raining, so you move to San Diego. You're hungry, right? So, you're, like, this is what we do. Based in dissatisfaction, we do something in search of satisfaction. And what Jesus is saying to us is the same thing. It's all through the scriptures. Ecclesiastes articulates it most clearly, but it's this. You'll be satisfied, but not, not permanently satisfied ever. Never. Right? So you're hungry. You go after it. And then you're hungry again. And it happens all the time. You buy season tickets because you've wanted them forever to whatever it is that you like. The Paramount or the Mariners or the sounders or whatever, and, you, and then you're like this, whoa, season tickets, you know, finally I'm at that point in life where I get to have season tickets because, you know, I have a little bit of money now and I can enjoy it, and at least for me, this is what literally happened. I bought season tickets, and then after a little while, I actually, I went from being so excited to go to every single game to I go, oh, wow, it's another game already, really? Man, that's a lot of games. And I go again, and I'm still kind of excited, but then again, you know, later in the season, it's like, oh, got to go, parking is such a hassle. French fries are $9. Every, I mean, it's, this is, I, and then I give my tickets away. Do you understand? Like, satisfaction, like, oh, I'll be happy. Then you are happy, and then you're unhappy. <laughs> oh, if only I could ski. And then you, you buy your season pass, and then you've skied everything. And you go, oh, got to go ski. Really, it's supposed to be fun. Like, what happens? Satisfaction, boom, crash. New car, new job, get married. It happens everything. <laughs> Jesus is telling you this is the way it is. The bread of the world will never satisfy. So we, here's the thing. We live in a culture 
where many of us in the room have the means to change things in our lives, right? You can move to a new city, you can take a new job. And, and a byproduct of our capacity to change things is we have become a perpetually dissatisfied culture. Did you know that? We change jobs, we change cities, we change hobbies, we change spouses, we change churches, we change, like we change clothes. And the result of that, I mean, the, st the stats are in. The results are that in the history of humanity, the 21st century, the developed world, is characterized by more intense isolation, anxiety, and addictive behavior than any people group ever in the history of the world. <laughs> so we're wealthy, and we can do anything we want, and we're profoundly unhappy. <laughs> Lonely, anxious, addicted. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the bread of life. So once Jesus has exposed this weakness, like this cycle that we find ourselves stuck in of going after stuff and then crashing, he shows us the paradigm shift that's needed in order to put us on a path of true satisfaction. And he does this by pointing to himself as the source of satisfaction. He says, look, when you guys are dissatisfied, uh, you're just going after another cookie. You think another job is going to satisfy you. You think a different, you know, a younger spouse is going to satisfy you. You think, you think moving to San Diego is going to satisfy you. Well, yeah, for a little while, but no. What you're looking for will never be found that way, ever. Never. <laughs> so if that's your motive for moving or marrying or, or, or upgrading your job or whatever, if that's your motive, it's the wrong motive and it won't satisfy. Uh, I'm pointing you to Christ as the one who doesn't bring a crash on the far side of satisfaction. That's what Jesus does. But in order to live into this, not as a theory or a religious thing, but as a reality, so that you're like this, I'm yoked with Christ and I'm satisfied. To live that way, there's three realities you have to really see. You have to see the reality of hunger in your life the reality of God's provision and the reality of our confusion that prevents us from appropriating, receiving Christ as life. So let's look at all three of those, beginning with this, the reality of hunger. The story in John 6, it, uh, Jesus used the hunger of a crowd of people, the physical hunger, to reveal uh, Christ's character to them. So Jesus had his kind of height of popularity. I mean, he's performing all kinds of miracles and teaching with a great deal of authority so that the crowds are now following him. And so Jesus, you know, had gone across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and and uh, when he gets there, the people who are on the far side, have, they've traveled around the sea. They're waiting for him on the other side. So they're wherever Jesus goes, they're following him, right? So Jesus is teaching them now on the far side of Galilee. And they came, uh, maybe not thinking about staying a long time, but now they're with Jesus. Jesus is teaching. And th they're getting hungry. I mean, physically hungry. They're hungry. So Jesus uh, takes five loaves and two fishes that are generously offered by a kid, and he prays over them, he multiplies, and he feeds 5,000 people with those five loaves and two fishes, right? But then they try and make Jesus king, and he slips away. And then when they see him again, he says, you want to know why you're seeking me? You're not, you're not seeking me uh, for the right reasons. Like, you ate loaves, and now all I am to you is a baker. In other words, let me translate this. You want another cookie, don't you? Well, I didn't come to give you cookies. I can transform you by inviting you to be yoked with me so you can live into the calling that, uh, that I had for you when you were created. To be a person, you know, filled with joy and hope and life and meaning. That's why I came, to give you that. And all you want is a cookie. Translate. All you want is a spouse. All you want is a job. All you want is a house to live in. All you, all you want is to live somewhere where it doesn't rain. That's all you want. <laughs> but I came to give you so much more. Don't worry about those things. But we do worry about those things. And so here's the deal. When people say, hey, you know, Richard, you know, you talk about companionship with Christ. Like Jesus is your best friend. I say it quite a bit. And I mean it. It's not theory. I think it's a reality for me. I, and I don't say it boastfully. I'm grateful. Christ is my friend. I, I say I'm never alone. Hey, I want that too. I hear it all the time. How do I get there? Uh, how can I know Christ as a companion? And this is what I say every time. I say, here's the beautiful thing about the way that God has made the world. God has made all of us in such a way that we get hungry. And hunger leads to transformation 
And ultimately, if we follow our hunger completely honestly, if we follow our hunger, we, we're led to Christ and to be yoked with Christ, connected to Christ. So we got to lean into our hunger. Now, uh, let me show you this in the Bible just very briefly. By saying God has used physical hunger all through the Bible, as a like physical hunger for food, as a context for spiritual transformation. But the best example I'm going to show you is one from the Old Testament about these 12 brothers in a famine. And so... I just want to give you the backdrop. Some of you know this already, but some of you don't. And so those of you who do, be patient with those who don't. As I kind of give you a review here. In Genesis, here's what you have. You have a genealogy. God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations, right? Uh, and so God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make a nation of you. And your people, Abraham, your people, listen, they'll represent the heart of God. In other words, these people would be about justice, generosity, peace, like, it's going to be completely different than all the surrounding cultures, so it will testify of the character of the God who created the universe. That's your calling, to look like God. You're made in God's image, now look like God. So, are you with me? That's why God, so God creates this, this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, and, and the thing is, they don't live into their calling very well. Abraham is kind of a liar and fearful. Uh, you know, Isaac, unabashed favoritism in parenting. Jacob, also favoritism in parenting and a liar, and a thief, and a cheater, and an anxious little worm of a guy, basically, right? So, I mean, those are the, that's, these are God's chosen people. And then Jacob marries four women and has 12 sons. This could be like the real housewives of Jacob. It would be a great show on cable, right? The real housewives of, I mean, you read it, it's incredible. So it's a, the family's a disaster, and the sons, as they grow up, are characterized by theft, greed, vengeance, violence, uh, rape, you know, pillaging of an entire town, uh, dishonest, lying, self-righteousness. One of them, uh, you know, sleeps with his daughter-in-law, but he didn't know it. She, was a veil, he, she had a veil on, he thought she was a prostitute. It's a disaster. Hatred, jealousy, petty jealousy. They sell one of the brothers as a slave. So, I mean, do they know God? Yes. Does God love them? Yes. Are they called by God? Yes. Are they saved? Yes. We see them all in heaven? Yes. Are they representing the heart of God? Like, not even a C minus, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a disaster. So, how does God change them? Well, you know, you got to take a class on Monday nights. If you go take notes and you, know, you study real hard, you become like Jesus. No, that's not how it works. How, do, how does God change him? Here's how. Hunger. <laughs> like literal physical hunger. You know what happens? There's a famine. And so you've got the guy who's been, one of the brothers has been sold as a slave, and now he's down in Egypt, and he's risen to a position of power, and he's saved up grain, and now Jacob says to 10, 10 of his sons, he says, listen, there's only one place in the world where you can get any grain in Egypt. Get down there and buy some grain. That's the story. So they're like, that simple act of hunger motivates the 10 brothers, and they travel to Egypt by, to buy bread. And that leads to their being accused to, uh, of, of being spies. And that accusation leads to repentance, and that repentance ultimately leads to Judah, the man who sold Joseph as a slave, confessing sin, not his own selfishness only, but the selfishness of all his brothers and the hatred he had for two of his brothers. And Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph ends up, uh, Judah ends up offering to lay down his life to save one of the brothers. He's completely transformed, but the context of the transformation wasn't Sunday school. No offense against Sunday school. It's all good. The context wasn't Sunday school. The context was a famine. In other words, they're hungry. And hunger leads to action, and action leads to transformation. Because the action that was the byproduct of hunger, ultimately the action was repentance. <laughs> wow. Are you hungry then tonight? Oh, no, listen, thanks, Richard. We had lasagna just before we came. We're on a carb high right now. We're fine. Oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean, hungry. Here, it's a rhetorical question. Are you hungry? Of course you're hungry. Hungry? Yeah, you're hungry. Why? Because um, cancer creates hunger. Divorce creates hunger. Infidelity creates hunger. Mental illness creates hunger. Depression creates hunger. Loneliness creates hunger. 
Hating your job creates hunger. Hating your parents creates hunger. Uh, growing up in a house where you were uh, sexually violated in some way uh, creates hunger. Hunger for intimacy, hunger for healing, hunger for wholeness, hunger for freedom from addictive behavior, uh, hunger for joy, hunger for hope, hungry for provision. Yeah, are you hungry? Everybody's hungry. Like if you're alive and breathing, you're hungry because you live in a fallen world. And that's the beauty of it. God has created us so that our hunger will lead us to Christ. How do I know that? Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this. We know, says Paul, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. Now, what is God's purpose? Romans 8, 29. This is God's purpose. God had in mind for you, listen, every one of you in the room, God has in mind for you to represent the heart of Christ. That's it. So that you would be a person in the world... In sales, in retail, in law, in medicine, in education, in accounting, wherever you are, that you would be a person with your neighbors, coworkers, guests, clients, that you would represent the heart of Christ. Joy, justice, wisdom, peace, laughter, curiosity, confidence, courage. That's God's will. Ah, oh, yeah, but I'm not there. Now, how do you get there? Well, Romans 8 says this. God causes all things to move you there. In other words, if you're here... But God wants you here, what will move you? And here's the answer, Romans 8, 28. Everything will move you. Do you hear me? Cancer will move you. Divorce will move you. Being addicted to porn will move you. <laughs> Self-loathing will move you. God uses everything. Here's the challenge, though. We're existentially aware of this gap, and we're aware because there's something wrong. But rather than wanting total healing, generally what most of us settle for is we want to fix our immediate problem. Does this make sense? So, oh man, I'm lo look, it's the things aren't working. We've got the ring, we've got the paper, we've got the Honeymoon pictures, but we're not happy at all. There's no, there's no intimacy. So what do we want? Well, God, get up, come on, God, fix our marriage. And God's like this, I could fix your marriage, but there's something more important than fixing your marriage. You need to know me. And if you know me, then your marriage will be fixed. Oh, yeah, 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 I know you, yeah, whatever. Fix our marriage. Do you hear me? <laughs> we settle for, you know, a solution to the problem. And then here's what Jesus says. Look, if you eat that way, you'll be hungry again and again and again and again and again. You'll always be hungry. So, in my own story, and many of you know this, but you know, my dad died when I was 17 and that led to loneliness. Loneliness led to depression. Depression led to health problems. But it's kind of this cocktail of trouble that made me more receptive to God's invitation to know God than I'd ever been in my life. And I grew up in a Christian home. Like I went, I heard Billy Graham when I was five years old. I received Christ uh, as my Savior when I was 12 years old. I was baptized on Easter, my 12th, uh, the, the, the year that I was 12 years old, I, 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 rece I, I received Christ and was baptized. Uh, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There's a choir, I'm there. My parents did all this stuff. They did Bible study fellowship and, you know, Christian bowling league and I mean, they did everything. Like, if it's Jesus and there's a label, I'm there. But here's the thing. For me, it was religion, man. It was culture. It was, it was, it was concept. It was like I could sing the names of the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as a little kid. But did I know Christ? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Not until I was hungry did I know Christ. Are you hearing me? Like, we can pour information on each other all day. But if there's no hunger, then I will never know Christ as life. And here's the good news. You're hungry. So just lean into it. Are you hungry? Oh, yeah, you're hungry. There's a guy years ago. I was a pastor in uh, Fry Harbor, San Juan Islands, right? If you've been there... You know, it's spectacular and beautiful, all that stuff. West side of the island, I'm in this guy's house. You know, massive, big windows looking out over the west side of San Juan Island. Glorious views. You know, whales there in the strait. Vic Lights of Victoria, Vancouver Island. Sun is setting, and I'm reading to this guy 
who's come across my path, and I, you know, he pops into church once in a while. I'm reading, and I'm reading Philippians 4. I said, listen, he said, I, I'm not happy. And I said, oh, you could be. He says, no, I don't think so. I said, oh, yeah, let me tell you about a guy who's happy. And I read Philippians 4. Apostle Paul, this is what Paul says in Philippians 4. He reads sometimes. Paul says, hey, I've learned the secret of contentment. Paul said that I had to learn it, but I've learned it. I'm content when I'm sick, when I'm healthy, when I'm in prison, when I'm free, when I'm poor, when I'm rich. Listen, in every situation, I've learned the secret of contentment. Boom. And so I'm reading that, and then this guy, I look up, and this guy has tears in his eyes. This is a wealthy man with big windows and views of whales, right? Like, like he's arrived. He's arrived. Hasn't he arrived? No, no, he's not arrived. I promise you that because with tears in his eyes, he said, I want to live that way. I'll pay you anything to learn contentment. I said, no, you can't buy it. Yeah, that's what I want. I want contentment. I'm, I want my hunger to go away. Well, there's one way. What's that? Receive Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I mean, I grew up in church. No, no, you don't know that. Let me explain what I mean by receive Christ by bringing you to this, the reality of provision. It's the second point on your outline. Like if I want the living bread that is Christ to be mine in a real way, not theoretical, but a real way, if I want that, then it's, I have to learn to receive Christ properly, you see. And I learned to do that by looking at both Christ and other stories of bread and provision in the Bible. And when I see the stories of bread in the Bible, I discover kind of three things about bread that are important. First, bread always comes to a deliverer. Second, bread can, can never be bought or earned. And third, we should never worry about bread. And all three are in your outline. But let's look at these things because these, like, to know Christ's life, all three have to be there. And here's the first thing. It's pretty significant, actually. Bread always comes from a deliverer. There's somebody outside of yourself who, who provides the bread for you. You can't provide your own bread. You can't do it. So in, in, in Genesis, there's this famine, and Joseph provides the grain. In Exodus, Israel's wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. Every morning they wake up, lo and behold, there's bread on the ground. Where's that come from? God's the provider of the bread. In John 6, 5,000 people, two loaves, everybody eats, and there's 12 baskets of leftovers. So, listen, the, the source of this kind of contentment that is supernatural, the source is always outside yourself. Now, that seems like a pretty obvious statement, but I feel like we have to stop and develop it a little bit, and here's why. Uh, <laughs> In every case, the bread needs to be received. You can't create it from within. And the reason this is important is because we live in a culture that tells us if we do enough, pray enough, try enough, study enough, or look within enough, we will find the resources to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and become kind of the self-actualized, fulfilled, you know, God-like people that we're supposed to be. You know, heresy. Wrong. Never. No. Here's the best news you'll hear all night. You're not okay. You don't have what it takes to feed yourself. Imagine on that bike trip when my wife wants a roll. Uh, how stupid would this have sounded? Hey, listen, if you just look within, you'll find the food that you need. <laughs> you know, just come on, you know, just, just, you know, just receive. You know, it's already there. <laughs> Eat your arm. You'll be fine. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Except it's in everything you see. It's so, like this notion of self-actualization and self-reliance, and you build it on your own, is so ubiquitous, so saturates our culture that we don't even know that we believe it, but we do. <laughs> and so one of the critical markers of our faith is this. You don't look inside yourself for what you don't have. Where does wisdom and joy and strength and healing and deliverance come from? Here's the answer, outside to you. Always, always. You have a void that you cannot fill on your own, and so the starting point of the gospel is this. You gotta come to the end of, of yourself. You have to. And really for me, knowing Christ as best friend was on the far side of the end of my rope, so to speak. I'm like, you heard it, my dad died, so depression, illness, uh, loneliness, and here's what didn't work. Diet didn't work. Counseling didn't work. Uh, exercise didn't work. 
Going to parties didn't work. Not going to parties didn't work. After I went to parties, I thought, no, I'm not an extrovert after all. I'll stay home and read Dostoevsky. That was just as boring as parties. Moving out of the house helped a little bit, but didn't, nothing, nothing worked. Like, I'm hungry to get out of this hole that is my life, and nothing's working. You know what? That's actually good news. Because now I'm open to Christ as life for the first time in my life, and I'm 21, and I've heard this message for 21 years, but now I'm open. Why? Hunger. <laughs> Hunger and failure. Failure to feed myself. It's not working. And, and then I was open finally to receiving Christ as life. You hungry? Good. Are you kind of not only hungry, but you've tried many things and you're still hungry? Even better. You're ready for a real, a real encounter with Christ as companion. Here's the other thing about this, this bread. It could never be bought there's a fascinating passage in Genesis chapter 42. These brothers of Joseph go down to Egypt to buy bread from Joseph, and they don't recognize Joseph because they've been apart for 20 years. But they go down to buy bread, and so, uh, of course, when you buy stuff, what do you do? You hand money to somebody, and they hand you a, th a thing, right? So uh, they give Joseph money. money uh, Joseph gives them grain, but then Joseph says to his servants, put their money back in their sacks. Do you know the story? So then these brothers, they're on their way back to the promised land. So they're traveling north from Egypt. And the first night they get off their animals and they're going to feed their animals. So they open their sacks where there's now grain. And what happens? There's money in every sack. Not one sack, all 12, or 10, excuse me, all 10 sacks. There's money in every sack. And these guys are like this. Now, not only are we accused of being spies, now this guy's going to think we're a thief as well. And then this is what they say. Read it. They say, what is God doing to us? Suddenly they're open to learning and they have been open their entire life. Were they, quote unquote, saved? Yeah, I mean, they were church kids, man. They went to Awana. If it, if it had existed, they'd have gone. They have all the badges, right? But they don't know God. And now finally, they're asking a question. Why? Because there's money in their sacks as a result of this crazy famine, right? So what's the point? Well, I'm always wondering, as I'm teaching, I teach Genesis at these Bible schools, and I'm always wondering, as I'm teaching, this is back in the early 90s, why is it that Joseph puts the money back in their sack? I have no idea. That makes no sense, right? Come on. This is like a source of income for Egypt. Joseph even said so when he made the plan. Yeah, people are going to be hungry. We're going to sell the grain, and we're going to sell it as a, at a premium. Because we're, the, like, we're the only show in all of Mesopotamia where we're going to make a killing on grain. Of course. So now Joseph puts the money back in their sacks. So I asked the question, why? And I'd go teach Genesis, and I'd never have an answer. So I'd kind of skip that chapter. Ah, there's money there, whatever. And then I'm teaching Genesis about the third time, like 1993. And so I'm going through Genesis all week, and it's Friday. I've got to teach this again. And I'm so frustrated. And I go, God, you've got to give me an answer. And I wake up at 3 in the morning, Friday morning, and I go, I know the answer. And nobody's in my room. But I know the answer, and I write it down. Isaiah 55. Do you know what Isaiah 55 says? Come and buy wine and bread. Listen to this. Buy wine and bread without money. Really? What, I mean, what is Isaiah saying? Here's what he's saying. Look, the bread of life, listen, the bread of life can never, ever, ever be what? Bought. You can't buy it. It's it's available, but only free. Isn't that weird? So, so the, the, do you love the language of Isaiah 55? Come, buy wine without money. Who does that? God, God does that. And only God. I've never gone to Fred Meyer, had them check everything out and say, now that'll be free today. Thank you very much for shopping with us. Never, ever. No, no, there's no free lunch, is there? Oh, no, but there's free bread. The bread of life. Can't, it can't be bought. This is why uh, Jesus says, unless you have faith like a little child, you'll never experience the kingdom of God. Because uh, how many of you remember when you were little kids and you received big expensive presents? Remember that? 
how many of you remember that day when you opened your iPad and you're 10 and your allowance is 50 cents a week or whatever it is, and then you get this, you know, this incredible gift, and then you remember thinking, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to buy a gift this nice for Dad. What a bummer. He just ruined Christmas for me. Do kids ever think that way? Here's the answer. No, never. Like they just, with empty hands, what are kids? They're just like this. Thanks. It's amazing. And it never ends, right? They're little kids and you give them expensive gifts and they just enjoy them and they don't feel a need to pay you back. And you take them to a Mariner game and they come to you and they say, it's time for, you know, magic ice cream that looks like styrofoam. I need money. And you, and you, and you give them money and then they don't pay you back. They just, take, they just take it. And I'm not complaining, actually, at all. This is the gospel. Because Jesus is saying, when you grow up, you lose that simplicity of childlike faith, don't you? And then you're like this. Oh, yeah, the gospel? Well, you know, if I pray enough, study enough, repent enough, give enough, serve enough, am enough, then maybe Jesus will like me. Stop thinking that way. Until you're a child and you're like this. Hey, Dad, what do you have for me today? And, and you want it, and you receive it, and you're grateful. That's the gospel right there. And many of us never know Christ as a companion because deep down we're not sure that Jesus likes us. We're not sure. And I, I, I have no way to say this to you that we can really impart it. <laughs> Other than to say, this, my prayer for you is this that you would bask in the vast, unconditional, loving arms of God. You know? That you can weep there and know he loves you. That you can bring your, you know, your body image issues there and know he loves you. That you can bring your stale marriage there and know he loves you. That you can bring uh, the fact you just lost your job and know he loves you. That's the gospel. And you're not there because you've performed. <laughs> you're there because God delights in giving and giving and giving. Free bread. You can't even buy it. When you try and buy it, you can't receive it. <laughs> a girl came up and, you know, right there a few years ago, she dropped a note in my hand and, and walked away. And I'm just going to read a little part of it, and I'm going to change some things. Not that you'd know anyway who she is, but it doesn't matter. This is what she writes. She says, you know, I have a friend who suffers from lots of illness, and then she gives a laundry list of this girl's problems. And she says uh, she's been in and out of mental hospitals and ICU and treatment centers and hospitals for the last four years. She's tried to kill herself a couple times. She doesn't, she doesn't want to live, doesn't want to recover. She doesn't want to do anything, but she's slowly destroying herself, she said. And then, and then in this letter, this gal writes in, so Richard, I invited her to come, so come to Bethany with me. And she came one Sunday, and she sat in the back with me, and she cried. And she came the next Sunday. And she said, so we started coming together, and uh, she'd hold my hand, and she'd smile, Richard, when you tell jokes, your dumb jokes, that's in the letter. <laughs> You'd smile, you dumb jokes. But what happened was she started to care for herself for the first time ever. And the turning point was this. She came to believe that God loved her. Just as she was. Not fixed yet. Just as she was. And then she's just like, thank you. Hey, you know, I, I, I get letters of encouragement. I'm always grateful. I don't save all of them. I save that one. Because that's the gospel right there. I learned that I was loved just as I am. I'm hungry and I can't buy bread. And here's Jesus. Perfect. Now you'll receive it. Can't be bought. And here's the other thing. Because it can't be bought, you don't need to ever worry about it. You just receive. The food will always come. And again, we go back to children. When kids are hungry, and now we're talking infants, newborn. When they're hungry, they know exactly where to turn. One source, over and over and over again, right? 
And if the food was there yesterday, the, the child grows in the confidence the food will be there tomorrow, and they just come and they eat, and they receive, and they receive, and they receive, and they receive. And that's okay. Because that's how they're becoming life. Now, if we change metaphors just for a minute from bread to breast milk, because it's appropriate to do so, one of God's names in the Old Testament, you know this, is Shaddai, which means, do you know, breast. It's God's way of saying, look, I'm not just your father, I'm your mother. <laughs> and I'm filled with life that I want to give to you freely. Come and feast on who I am. That's Jesus. Without, without cost, without money. Like a small child, receive. And this brings us to kind of the reality of our problem, which is that we're confused about all this stuff. Because we have a presenting problem. We're lonely, we're unemployed, we're addicted, we don't like our body, we, whatever it is. We have a presenting problem. of an invitation to rest in these infinitely loving and healing arms of Christ. But rather than go there, we continue to think that we just solve the presenting problem, all will be well. And that was the problem in John 6. They were hungry. Jesus gave them bread. And they said, we want more bread. Because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There may not be bread tomorrow. So give us more bread, Jesus. Jesus says, no, you don't need more bread. You, you need me. I'm the bread with the devil. I'm the bread of life. You eat of me, you'll never hunger. I'll satisfy you. Oh, no, Jesus, what about the bread? Like, remember this? Here's Jesus, Matthew 6. Why are you worried? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? How big will our 401k be? How many cookies can I fit on a tray? When will they spoil? Uh, how big is my refrigerator? How much food can I store up? How big is my 401k? When will Donald Trump stop, stop tweeting? Uh, like, we're, we're worried. All, I mean, we're worried about the future. North Korea sends a bomb today. Another one. When will there be peace? Here's Jesus. Don't worry. Rest in me. Why? You'll be, the, you'll be, I'll be for you. I will be for you the source of joy and hope and meaning and peace and life every step of the way. Waves will rise and fall. Bread will come and go. You'll be healthy. You'll be sick. You'll be free. You'll be imprisoned. You'll live long. You'll die tomorrow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you have me, you have all you need to live the life for which you're created. Go there. That's Jesus. But we don't go there. <laughs> because our, our overwhelming temptation is to just fix the presenting problem. Oh, if I could just get over my addiction, I'll be well. If it just stopped raining, I'd be happy. No, you won't. You need bread, the bread, Christ. Jesus is with the disciples in Matthew 16. He's had this little interaction with the Pharisees religious leaders, and then Jesus gets in a bow with the disciples, having already fed 7,000 with two loaves and 5,000 with five loaves. And now in the, in the boat, here's what Jesus says. He, say, he looks at the disciples, he says, hey, you guys, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven being yeast, right? The disciples say, they say to each other, read it, Matthew 16, the disciples say, oh, you know what? <laughs> Jesus is mad at us because we didn't bring bread. And we're in the boat. And so he's talking about leaven. But he's not, he's not really, you know, directly correcting us. Because he's Jesus. He's nice. So, no, no, no. Yeah, he's, he, but he's, you know, he's, he's mad. We didn't bring the bread. We're going to get halfway out of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to have a, like an insulin reaction or something. And he's just correcting us. Why didn't you guys bring the bread? So Jesus knows they're thinking this. And what does Jesus say? He says, this, literally, this is what he says. I'm not paraphrasing. Jesus says, have your hearts become hard? And then he says, are your hearts still hard? Hard heart? Man, all we did was think that you were trying to correct us. And here's what Jesus says. He says, look, two loaves, how many people fed? 7,000. Five loaves, how many people fed? 5,000. And you're worried about bread? Don't worry about bread. Two loaves, 7,000. Five loaves, 5,000. And you're worried about your 401k? Don't worry. Don't worry about your car. Don't worry. Don't worry about your loneliness. Don't worry. Cling to Christ. Bask in his love. Let him take care of it. Become children. This is the gospel. 
We're worried about our health, our money, our relationships, our kids, our national security. And Jesus says, I'm so tired of you trying to fix your life that I want to transform. <laughs> Just come and rest. And so in a minute here, we're going to come to this table. But please, tonight, don't come unless you're hungry. And not generically hungry, but hungry. Do you know what I mean by hungry? I mean, look, here's Jesus, John 6. If anybody's hungry, come to me and eat. Yes, I'm hungry. I'm hungry because I'm, I'm 61. And I don't know what growing old looks like. And people my age are starting to die. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for peace as I age. Are you hungry? You're, uh, yes, you're hungry. Hungry for healing in the wake of broken relationships. Hungry for guidance in the openness of a wide open future. Hungry for intimacy in a marriage that's grown cold. Hungry for a restoration of relationship with your parents. Hungry for world peace. Hungry for provision. Hungry for direction. You're hungry. In some way, you're hungry. And here's Jesus. Come and partake of me, and I will be for you all you need. I'll meet your need, your felt need, but I'll transform you because you are who you eat. Come and partake. And this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It says, Jesus, my blood shed for you and for everyone for the forgiveness of sin. Drink all of it so that you know that you know uh, that you, you've never earned God's favor. But that right in the midst of your own failure and mine, we're loved completely, infinitely, relentlessly because God is love. Receive the sign of forgiveness. Receive the healing and transforming strength. Come and eat. Uh, if you would, come when you've named your hunger. And then please, if you would, travel counterclockwise through these sections. Gluten-free bread is available in the blue baskets. Let's worship together. Christ is our bread.